Philippians 2, verse 16. Hold firmly to the word of life, and then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain, and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you're here with us. And, and really what we're here for is we're here for you. We want to hear from you. We want to worship you. And, and so, God, I just pray that you would move in this place tonight, that you would speak. We can only do so much, but we really want your, your spirit to be the one that's here and doing the work. So, God, I just pray that you would move. For those that need comforting, I pray they'd be comforted. That those that need to be challenged, I pray they would be challenged. That those who need to be healed, I, I pray for their healing. Father, I just pray that you would do the work that you need to do in this place for these people at this time. So we're grateful for that you're here. Grateful that you're a good, merciful, just, kind, almighty, loving Father. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, how are we doing today? Welcome to church. I'm going to do this. It's good. It feels better anyway. Um, well, it's great to see you here today. And again, uh, we just want to say a hello to everyone at our South Campus. And we're glad that you're in church today. And uh, like Jamie already said, uh, we had 140 plus people at our South Campus last weekend. And lots of new faces and a whole pile of kids and new families and just... The, the sense that we got from everyone that I talked to was just, it was just a buzz. There was just an excitement. Everyone was just really excited. And so we're, we're really believing that God is going to continue to do a great work through the campus over there at the Cineplex Theaters. And so we're, we're celebrating that today, and uh, we're excited about that today. Uh, we also kicked off a brand new series last week that we're calling Home Is... I'm kind of fill in the blank. Now, I know for some of you, you already have filled that in. You know, well, home is... Have you ever typed something into Google and it finished your sentence for you? Well, if you type home is where and just start typing random letters, it's pretty interesting what will come up. And so I did that this week and, and I got home is obviously where the heart is. And, and the pet lovers were like, home is where the dog is. Home is where the cat is. Um, home is where the pants aren't was another one that I got. That was a good one. I, it's great. Uh, home is. See, and, and really what that says is that home is different things to different people. And we're going to talk about home for the next few weeks and church and family and Jesus and about how all of those things really overlap. They're, they're really quite connected. And last week we talked about how church should feel like home. The church should be like family. We should treat one another like family. And this place should feel like when you walk through the doors, there's just a sense of, ah, I'm home. And so that's what we're going to continue to talk about. And today we're going to talk about something that, that all families should be doing. That should be happening in every home, whether it's your home or this home. We're going to talk about what it means to sacrifice and what it means to serve. Uh, so I'll just go back and read our passage really quick, especially verse 17. Paul writes, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. And he says, just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. I want to talk for a few minutes about that term, a liquid offering. 
Uh, how many of you have ever had that moment in your life where you looked at that spot in your home, that room, that shelf, that cupboard, you know what it is, the place that you, sh you shut it when visitors come over, and you're like, today is the day we tackle this thing. Today is the day we unclutter the clutter. Today is the day we organize the chaos. And, and you just kind of dive into it. Uh, we all have that problem area in our house, maybe areas, plural, I don't know. Uh, for us, we have, we, have, we have two girls who share a room in our home. They are sweet little girls. They are filthy. They are, I was lied to my whole life to, to grow up believing that boys were the messy ones. That boys are dirty, boys are the ones who make the messes, and girls are, no, lies, all lies. Boys are so clean. But in fact, Mr. Clean's a man, right? When that company was like, who's the best possible mascot for our cleaning company? And they're like, well, obviously it should be a dude because they're clean. Not my girls live in a house with four women. Now I am Mr. Clean, this is my life. And every day when I go in to tuck these two girls in, I put on one of those environmental masks like I'm in China to protect me from the pollutants that will come into my body. And so every now and then we walk into that room and we're like, okay, it's time. It's time, we have to do this. And, and so we load in there with brooms and shovels and garbage bags and hazmat suits. And, and here's what we all have discovered when we have done that. In order for that space to get cleaner, it's first going to get messier. Truth, right? You, you get to that spot where you're like, I'm gonna undo all the clutter, we're gonna organize all of the things, but halfway through you look around and you're like, this looks way worse than it did when I started. Is this backfiring on me right now? But that's, that's just really how it goes. I, I go into my girl's room and I use the, the broom like a shovel and I just, everything, everything on the bed and on the floor and on the, the shelves, they all just, it's just a huge pile on the floor. And you take laundry baskets and garbage bags and toy bins and you just start chucking things and you start sorting them and halfway through you're like, this is a disaster. This looks worse than it did before I started. Like here's a doll, here's an open lipstick container with hair on it, here's a five month old apple core, here's whatever you find in your kids' rooms, I don't know. But, but it looks messier before it gets cleaner but you do it because you know, I love my daughters. And really what we've all learned is that sometimes you've got to be willing to walk into a mess so that someone else can be clean. Sometimes you've got to walk into a disaster, some kind of messy situation, so that ultimately something can get cleaned up and fixed. This is what Paul was talking about when he said, I'm going to pour myself out. I'm going to be a sacrifice. I'm going to be an offering. He said, I am willing to walk into a mess so that someone else might get cleaned up. I am willing to be broken so that someone else might get healed. That's what it means to be a sacrifice. He says, this is my offering to God, to give up my life for the sake of all of the people around me. And he refers to it as a liquid offering, which sounds a little weird, because if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you're, you're used to hearing about sacrifices, maybe, but we rarely hear about the liquid sacrifice. And back then, you had to make a sacrifice for everything. If you want forgiveness, go kill a lamb. You want to celebrate, kill a dove. You want to give your tithe, go burn your wheat. It was, and it was really the whole point of it was that you were giving up something that had value. You were giving up something that, that mattered to you. It had, like when you had to sacrifice a sheep, it wasn't like go pick the three-legged blind one. It was, no, go, go get your best. 
and then you're going to give it up. You're going to lose it and gain nothing in return except that was your worship. That, that was how a sacrifice worked. You had to give up something that was useful and valuable and let it go as an act of sacrifice to God. And so this liquid offering was another one of those sacrifices. We see it in the Old Testament a few times. Uh, the first one is Genesis 35. And, and we hear about this man named Jacob who is led to a place that becomes known as Bethel. And it's there that God kind of takes him aside and says, big moment, your name is now Israel. I'm going to make you a huge nation, pivotal, significant moment for all of history, all of scripture. And this is what Jacob does in response. Genesis 35, 14 says, Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him, and then he poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. So he poured out his wine. Now, that would have been handy. He didn't live there. He had to travel there, so he would have had that with him. And, and oftentimes, they drank wine because it was healthier, it was better, probably tasted a little better. But here's the thing. In order to get that wine, that would have been work. All right, he doesn't just zip over to the Walmart or whatever. He has to make it. So they got to plant plants and then they got to harvest plants and then I got to stomp on all those grapes and then they got to do the work and then they've got to wait for it to actually become what it's going to become. It's not that he just wanted to give any liquid offering. It's not, he could have gone down to a stream, scooped up some dirty water and given that to God, but he gave something that was necessary and good and valuable and cost him something. And he poured that out and said, that is my offering to God. It's something that cost me something. We see this again in the next book, in Exodus. God has rescued his people from slavery. He brings them out of Egypt. It's a miraculous, crazy story. And when they're kind of safe and sound, he sits down with them and he says, all right, here's what it looks like from here on out. We're entering into a new covenant. This is how our relationship is going to be. And, and, and he lays down literally the law, and he talks about the priesthood, he talks about the temple, and, and everything changes in that moment. And here's what we find in Exodus 29, 38. It says, these are the sacrifices you are to offer regularly on the altar. Each day offer two lambs that are a year old, one in the morning and the other in the evening. And with one of them offer two quarts of choice flour mixed with one quart of pure oil of pressed olives. Also offer one quart of wine as a liquid offering. Offer the other lamb in the evening along with the same offerings of flour and wine as in the morning, and it will be a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to the Lord. So again, the picture is that they're taking their good, healthy animals, they're taking something that's good and valuable to them, and they're giving it to God. They don't get anything in return except that was my worship. It was a sacrifice. And the idea of giving a liquid offering, it wasn't a brand new idea. We hear of ancient cultures that did the same thing. You just poured one out for your God, and over time it became a thing that you did. You poured one out for a fallen soldier, and nowadays you watch TV and rappers and mobsters, they pour one out for their fallen buddy, right? And it's a way of saying, you're not here with me, but I want you to join in on this celebration, so I'm going to let go of something that means something to me. And, and it, we've kind of skewed it along the way, obviously. I don't think that was God's intention. But the point of a sacrifice was that you were taking something valuable, and, and ultimately it looks like you were taking a loss. You don't get anything in return from it, but it's an act of telling God that he is worth it. From a practical standpoint, it's wasted. From a spiritual standpoint, it's worship. That's what a sacrifice looks like. 
That's how the world probably still sees it to some degree. When they look at what you give to the church, maybe even financially, you're a literal offering. People would find out that you give, you give money to the church? Like every week you do that? See, to them it's wasted. You don't get anything back from that. But to you it's worship. It's a sacrifice. It's why we give. I'm giving up a good thing to gain nothing except I get to tell God that he was worth it. So it might look like I lost something, but I've actually gained everything. Paul says, that's how I've lived my life. I've poured myself out as that offering. He says, my work wasn't useless. I didn't run this race in vain, but I've gained everything by, by becoming that sacrifice. And it would, to some, it would seem like Paul wasted his life. He didn't get to fulfill the American dream or the Roman dream or whatever it was that he was living. He never got married and had kids and settled down and had a family. He never got rich. He never got famous, except today he might be surprised. But by the end of his life, the conclusion wasn't, man, did I waste and squander my life. His conclusion was, I gave everything and it was joyful. I gave my entire life and I count it as joy. He didn't lose anything. He gained everything. He gave his most valuable thing, his life, and he sacrificed it for others. Does that sound somewhat familiar? Because it's literally Jesus who did the same thing. He sacrificed his own life for the people around him, right? And, and we see Jesus talk about this uh, kind of through the Gospels in, in different terminology. We, Jesus and wine actually have a bit of a connection in Scripture, and all the Wesleyans said, <gasps> Uh, Jesus' first miracle was to make a whole bunch more wine, really good wine. That's not just because God likes to party. He does, but there is something more to it. He's hinting at something else. See, Jesus' ministry starts with wine, and it also ends with wine. That's the Last Supper. He's sitting around the table with his disciples, and he says, this is my body that was broken for you. Eat and remember. And then he says this in Luke 22, verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, did you get this, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. All right, if you think back to what we literally just read in Exodus, God is calling his people out of slavery, setting them up with a new covenant, and, and there's a liquid offering. And now God's sitting around the table with his disciples saying, I'm about to show you a new covenant. I'm pulling you out of slavery to sin, and this is how it's going to work. And now I'm giving my own body as the liquid offering. It's a direct correlation between the beginning of Scripture and near the end of Scripture, except this time, instead of simply making a sacrifice, Jesus is the sacrifice. And he becomes the liquid offering that is poured out for everyone, including us. And he does what we talked about right at the very beginning of the message. He walks into a mess so that other people could be cleaned. Jesus says, I will be broken so that someone else might find healing. He becomes the sacrifice. But here's the thing. Jesus sacrificed for us so that we could now sacrifice for the kingdom. He invites us to do the same thing. And Paul makes the same clarification when, when he says, I didn't just make an offering. I'm not just giving an offering. He says, my life is the offering. 
I'm not making a sacrifice. I'm actually becoming the sacrifice, giving my everything so that the people around me could find healing and restoration and hope and wholeness. He says, I've given up my life for the sake of the gospel. He is the sacrifice. He writes about it again in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. When you give your life as a sacrifice for the people around you, that is how you truly worship Jesus. It's what he's done for us. It's now what we do for him. And, and people around you, again, will think that you're crazy, that you give so much time to the church, that, that you give so much money to the kingdom, that, that you're involved in this. People probably think, you gave your whole life to the church? What a waste. Nah, it's worship. It's not a waste. I'm not losing anything. I'm gaining everything when I give my life to worship. Jesus invites us to do this. He invites us now to walk into the messes so that the people around us can find healing and hope. Are, are you willing to give up your own life so that the people around you can find life? That's what the gospel asks. You are never more like Jesus than when you sacrifice your life for others. That's what it looks like. That's what the gospel looks like. It's hard. It's really hard to do this. It's not super fun. We live in a world where it says, well, if it hurts, stop it. I just give up. Right? Like if, if you hate your job, quit. If your marriage is difficult, just leave them. Just leave her. If your, you know, exercise is annoying, we'll just stay fat. Right? We just give up. We just give up. Um, it, it's what we do. This week, the staff went out to eat together. We were kind of, I was going to say celebrating. We weren't celebrating. It was Ben Cochran's last day as an intern. We were mourning slash thanking him slash celebrating. And so we're like, all right, Ben, you get to pick where we eat. And of course, he picked somewhere weird. And we go to Nauru downtown. I know some of you absolutely love it. It's sushi. It's sushi. Don't applaud Ben for this. <laughs> and now I like food. I like food. But I like it to be food. <laughs> right? That's the thing. There is an animal category and there is a food category and sushi blurs the lines. It doesn't know what's what. Natalie offered me a piece of tuna. I was like, how long ago was that swimming? Like 20 minutes? It moved on your plate when they put it down. It's not food yet. I got chicken, deep fried chicken. It was delicious. Tastes just like sushi, except it's not fish and it's cooked and it's chicken. By the end of the meal, though, they were all trying to entice me and offer me things. And Jamie offered me the last piece of this giant sushi thing and it was all sushi-ish and filled with sushi and he's like I want to just try it you're gonna like it it's gonna be really good and he says the thing is though you can't you're not allowed to cut sushi in half you can't like take a bite out of it it's bad luck well that's bad theology but I went with it anyway <laughs> and I'm staring this thing down thinking do I do this right like it's we're here for Ben I gotta do it for Ben and I'm like I'm also I can't be the baby at the table I'm the leader of the table I can't not eat the sushi, but the whole time I'm contemplating, he's just loading more junk on top of it. This green stuff and piles of other flaky things. I'm like, what is this? So eventually I look at this thing and I'm like, all right, we're going for it. And I picked it up and I just put the whole thing in my mouth at once. And 
You know how like when something's in there, but you haven't bit yet, and you're just like, oh no, this might be all right, I'm not sure. But as soon as the teeth came down, it was like, oh no. Oh no, no. My brain was like, this might be okay. And my esophagus was like, we're shutting it down. It's not getting any further than this. And I knew in that moment, like, it's going to come out of my mouth in, in one of two ways, voluntarily or not, but it's going to come out of my mouth. And so I promptly spat it out into a napkin like a six-year-old. See, I got to that point where it was uncomfortable and I didn't like it and I quit and I gave up. It got to the point where I, this is not what I wanted. I'm not enjoying this. And so I just stopped and in kind of a roundabout way, we do similar things Right? Well, you, you've been in situations that were painful or uncomfortable. They, they, they weren't what you wanted. You didn't like it. And, and the temptation, kind of the human sense, is I'm just going to back out. I'm going to leave. I'm going to run away from this. I don't like pain. I should be further away from it. I don't like to be broken. I should be further away from it. I don't want to be discomforted. I should be further away from it. And the gospel is an invitation to do the exact opposite and say, walk into the pain, walk into the discomfort, walk into the mess, because that is where I'm calling you to live. And it's only when you're willing to do that, that, that you will give your sacrifice of your life, that you will actually find the life you wanted in the first place. It's one of the great kind of reversals of the gospel. And it asks us day in and day out, will you walk into the mess so someone else might get cleaned? Will, will you become broken so someone else might get healed? Will you pour yourself out so that someone else might get filled back up? Will you be discomforted so someone else might find comfort? Will you give your life as a sacrifice? This is how you find your life. Mark 8:34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you will save it. How many people do you know are just trying to hang on to their own life? Thinking, this is what I'm looking for. This is how I'm going to find it. Jesus says, no, it's when you actually lose it that you find it. Well, what a wasted life. No, it's worship. But you lost everything. No, I gained everything. It, it doesn't necessarily make sense on paper, but it's the truth. And Paul, you know, you think about what Paul did. And you think, man, that was hard. How did you do that? And he said, it was joy. And we look at what Jesus did and we're like, man, that was hard. How could you do that? And he's like, well, that's how you find your life. Right? It seems hard, it seems backwards, it seems like the opposite of what everyone else does, but that's exactly where we find the life that's more abundant. That's where you find the life that Jesus promised. It's how you find the joy that you were lacking, but it demands that you walk into what's hard and painful and difficult and messy and offer yourself as a sacrifice so that someone else might find peace and hope. But I want peace and hope. Give your life away and you'll find it. But I want joy. Give your life away and you'll find it. It's a living sacrifice. It demands that you give your life for someone else. And we've all wrestled with this at certain times. I've wrestled with this before. Um, I've chatted a little bit before about our fostering experience. We're fostering a little guy right now who's 14 months old and... Uh, we got him when he was four months old. And so we've had him for 10 months. And the first few weeks, maybe the first month or so into it, 
uh, I may or may not have, un not deliberately, but kept myself at a distance. Kept myself guarded. Knowing probably that because the day will come when I have to give this little guy back and it's gonna be hard, so let's just love him safely from a distance. And I remember the day my wife sat down beside me and she said, we need to love this guy fully and completely. Even if it means that day will be more hard than we can comprehend because what if this is the only window of time in his life where he is loved fully and completely? She is a wise woman and she was right and we let our guard down and we love this guy. The day probably is going to come when we have to give him back and it's gonna be really hard, but our call was to love him fully. Are you willing to be broken so that someone else might find healing? Are you willing to endure pain so that someone else might find love? That's what the gospel calls us to do. People ask, isn't it gonna be hard to give him back? It sure is. Most hard things hurt. Most good things hurt but you don't run away from it. You walk into it. It's not about you anyway. And I think of, I think of our missionary families at our church. You think of families like the Orleskis and families, families like the Hayses who had, they had everything. They had stability, they had great jobs, uh, they had Wi-Fi and food, <laughs> and they uprooted, and now they live in a field in Haiti and on the other side of the planet in Cambodia, and I know that they've had people ask them, are you sure about this? This is really, you're sacrificing a lot. You're giving up a lot. It's not wasted, it's worship. To give your life in service to the good news and to the gospel. Nothing you do for Jesus is wasted. And Paul writes about this. See, Paul knew a lot about this. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Listen to this. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It's never useless. Whatever you're doing for him. Don't be discouraged. It's not going to waste. Whatever you do for the gospel, God will take it and bless it and do more with it than you can imagine. So the question for us tonight is, are you busy protecting your life or are you willing to pour out your life? Are, are, are you trying to salvage your life and hold on to it so that it's peaceful and prosperous and joyful and protected from all the pain and the hurt? Or are you willing to say, I will pour out my life for the sake of the people around me because this is what Christ calls me to do? And it's hard, but it's worth it. It's joy. I don't know how many of you have ever read any of the devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, uh, by Oswald Chambers. It's fantastic. And he writes this. He says, it's one thing to follow God's way of service if you are regarded as a hero, but quite another thing if the road marked out for you by God requires you becoming a doormat under other people's feet. Are you ready to be sacrificed like that? And he goes on to say, are you willing to give and be poured out until you are used up and exhausted, not seeking to just be ministered to but to minister. 
And he goes on to say, will you do it even if no one ever remembers? That's the gospel. That's our calling, is living sacrifices, is to walk into the pain, not to run away from it. It's to walk into the messes, not to try and clean ourselves up necessarily. It means giving ourselves, not always getting for ourselves. It's what the world needs. It's what our city needs. That's what your neighbors need. It's what your family needs. Someone willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of the gospel. And it's where you'll find joy and meaning and hope. Uh, for the past couple years, right around this time, we've done what is known as generosity, C-I-T-Y, and it was a way of giving back over the course of two or three weeks. Uh, we've, I think over the last two years, we raised $55,000 and we just gave it away. We, we gave hundreds of hours away to our community just doing service projects, and it's been really great, but we've been feeling the need when it comes to service and sacrifice. Like, this needs to just be something that we don't do two or three weeks out of the year. But this needs to be something that, that we're marked by this as a church year-round. Which isn't to say we were only serving our community three weeks out of the year. But we thought, let's change our focus. And so today we're going to launch generosity, but not as a three-week event, but as an ongoing yearly service initiative. This is how we are going to make sacrifices as a church. And so instead of raising a whole bunch of money and giving a whole bunch of hours and just kind of giving it away to a bunch of places, kind of just like shotgun, here's just a whole bunch of things, and then we're done for a year, um, we're, we're actually going to focus on a one or two things every one or two months, year in and year out. This is what we're going to do. And, and so we feel like this is our best way to continually can serve our city and love our city and fulfill our vision to be for the good of the city. Uh, and so we're going to pour ourselves out. And in some ways, not that, again, that it was intentional, but it was easy to make generosity look glamorous. It, it was easy to say, look at all the money we gave away. Everyone should applaud us. And we put the video online, and we ended up in the paper, and it was like, woo! But it's not really the point. But the question is, what, what are you willing to do if no one ever knows about it? What are you willing to do if no one ever remembers you? What are you willing to do if no one ever thanks you? How are you willing to pour yourself out for the good of the people around you, even if they don't ever come back and say thanks? That's sacrifice. And so we're going to do this. And, and for the next two months, it's, it's kind of a, an easier one, but we're going to get in our feet wet. We're going to work our way into this. But for November and December... Uh, we are going to be collecting warm winter clothing for kids and families in our city that don't have them. And we're going to collect a huge pile of them, and then we're going to distribute them to all of the schools in our city because they have kids that show up in the winter who are not dressed for the winter. It's not glamorous. It's not necessarily hard, but it might cost you something. Because right, we don't want your worn-out, gross mittens. We have kids that need snowsuits. We don't want your cheap boots that wouldn't keep a foot warm in Florida. Like we, it's minus seven million. We need good boots. You'd want it for your own kids, right? So let's give it for other people's kids. And so we're just gonna be collecting stuff November and December right here at the church. You can just leave it here and we're gonna get a pile of it, kids and teenagers both. And we're just gonna take them to our schools and love our city by keeping them warm. And, and it's, it, again, it's, it's easy ish 
but it's good and it's a good way to get our feet wet and to continue to go after it. We're also, and on an ongoing basis, we, we make lunches uh, for kids in our schools that don't have food. Every Sunday after church, six or eight cross pointers go to the community kitchen. That's a great way to sacrifice for your city. And Dave, almost every week, has to call around and find enough people, enough people out of a church of 500. We have to find six people every week who should be lined up to sacrifice, right? You're, you're, it's only sacrificing an hour or two, but no one knows you did it. You're not gonna get applauded for it. You don't even get to eat the food when it's done. But we're called to pour out our lives for the good of the people around us. This is as simple as serving at our South Campus. If you can go across the river on a Sunday morning, they load in at 7 a.m. Right, February's coming. It's going to be minus 30. They're going to be unloading a trailer, and it's going to be pitch black, but they're going to do it for Jesus. Will you pour out your life for the good of the people around you? And it's, it's not hard in the sense that it's complex. It's just hard in the sense of, will you, are you protecting your life or are you pouring it out? Paul says, I have been a liquid offering and I've sacrificed my everything for the people around me. You will never look more like Jesus than when you give your life for others. And isn't the point to look like Jesus? To act like Jesus. And so that's, that's what a home is. A home is a place where you sacrifice for others. Home is a place where you walk into a mess to make it better. Home is where you're willing to be broken so someone else can find healing. And as a family, that's what our invitation is. That's what the gospel is. And so that's what we're going to do. Let me pray for us today. Father, you're good and we love you. And I, I shudder to think about where we would be if you weren't willing to be broken for us. And so, Father, like you told us, help us to remember what you did for us, but now help us to go and do likewise. And so I pray that this would be a church that just has such a strong call to sacrifice for their community and for their world, that you would teach us how to be people not to avoid pain, but to walk into it if we have to, that we would be instruments and vessels to be used by you and for you, that you would fill us up so that you can, you can just tip us over and pour us out. That's, that's, that's a liquid offering. But it's painful. God, I pray that we'd be the kind of church that's willing to take a hit for the gospel. That we'd be the kind of people that, that would be willing to get bru bruised and beaten. Maybe not physically, but emotionally and spiritually that we would give our lives for people who don't say thanks, that we would give our heart and our souls for people who, who want to retaliate instead, that we would love our enemies and do good to those who hate us, and that we would give our time to serve you and love you and know you. In doing so, may we find joy. May we find the life more abundantly. You're such a good God. You gave it all for us. Help us to give it all for you. We love you. We're glad that you're here. Continue to speak to us as we lift your name high. We pray it in your name. And our family all together said,